What's up, fight fans? You're listening to episode number 139 of The Neutral Corner for the week of September 22nd, 2018. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Back on the East Coast, back in Atlanta from a long weekend in Las Vegas. That's why this episode's coming to you guys about a day or so late. Before we get into news and notes, and we got a loaded episode here, of course, uh, we're going to review the big, big fight last Saturday. Wanted to remind you guys of my fee for this podcast. So it's not a monetary fee. I provide this uh, podcast to you guys every week, rain, snow, or shine, no matter what's on the schedule. And I try to give you guys the most unbiased opinion that's out there in the boxing media right now. What I ask for you is to spread the word about my channel and this podcast. That's what I ask for you guys this week. That is your fee for episode 139 of TNC. Get the word out there about this channel. All right, get the word out there about Montero Unboxing, the brand. Get the word out there about my Twitter, Facebook page, Instagram page. You guys know that this podcast is not just on YouTube. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Those of you who subscribe to Ring Magazine, Boxing Monthly Magazine, you've seen my articles in there, get the word out about that stuff. I'm just asking you guys to get the word out about what we're doing here because we are a completely independent operation and we try to work with everybody and we try to keep it uh, neutral as we can. That's why the name of the show is The Neutral Corner. For those of you who can contribute monetarily, please go over to patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing and tip the show, man. Just, uh, you know, if you want to just tip the show for what we're doing here for, for this service, I greatly appreciate it. Those of you who want to spread the word about Montero Unboxing, you want to get a t-shirt, email me, MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com. All right, guys, that's it with all the preliminaries. Let's get into news and notes for episode 139 of TNC. Okay, so we've got some fights that are official now that have come together, even though we don't have dates and venues yet for all of them. Let me start with Eladir Alvarez and Sergey Kovalev. Their rematch will not be on HBO. It is going to ESPN. Michelle, that is Alvarez's promoter, and uh, Duva at Main Events, that's Kovalev's promoter, they are partnering up with Top Rank. And their ESPN deal, they're bringing the rematch to ESPN early 2019 at a date and venue to be determined. Last I heard is they might take that down to uh, where the Dallas Cowboys play. That would be an interesting venue. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know if that makes sense, you know, in terms of demographics, but um, and not the actual, uh, not Arlington Stadium, but I think the practice facility. That's where Errol Spence fought recently. So um, that is a possibility. I, I believe it'll go to the east coast i mean that's where that fight belongs but the most interesting thing about this is that it's not on hbo and for remember th this espn deal is is it's a top rank thing but top rank has picked up several fights that are being promoted by other promoters so when this whole thing started remember one of the questions i asked and it's one of the questions i ask about all of these deals that are being announced Will the lead promoter work with other promoters? And top rank so far is doing better than every other promoter with these exclusive deals they have with these different apps or, or uh, premium cable networks or regular network TV, whatever it is. I think they're doing the best job 
of working with other promoters in signing fights that don't even belong to them. For main events, who has had a working relationship with HBO for decades, that is their network of choice, right? We could go back to all their big fighters. They've worked with HBO forever. For them to take this to ESPN, they're not the lead promoter here. Kovalev lost in the first fight. I get it. All that stuff, it, it does matter. But for them to do this, and for Devon Michelle, Canadian promoter, to do this, I think it tells you guys, again, where the boxing business is going. It's going back to regular TV, other than Showtime, obviously, here in the States. That's a premium cable network. You got Sky Sports, box office over in the UK. Like, I get it. But here in America, more and more and more, it's going to regular TV, and it's going to these streaming platforms. And, uh, man, HBO, how much longer are they going to be in boxing at all? I'll talk later on in the episode about, you know, uh, Canelo Alvarez, his deal with HBO is running out. I believe uh, Triple G, there's still options there, but that deal is running out. Where do these guys go? I don't know. But this is really, really indicative, I thought, of, of where the boxing business is going. And that's why I wanted to lead with that. Another big fight coming together. Oleksandr Usyk, Tony Bellew. This is actually a, a bigger fight than Alvarez Kovalev uh, financially in terms of business. This is a done deal for November 10th. Now, I remember last week in episode 138 of TNC, I talked about the WBA might be mucking that up. To their credit, they didn't. So this fight is happening November 10th in Manchester. It's going to be on DAZN in the USA, and it's going to be on Sky Sports box office in the UK. And here's what's really smart about what Eddie Hearn's doing right now. For some of these domestic fights where it's going to be big and popular and you've got Tony Bellew, who's a brand over there, you can go the pay-per-view route over there in the UK. You can do the Sky Sports box office. You can get that money coming in. And then for the American fans, you got DAZN. And I think, you know, in the past, he would have tried to work out a deal with either HBO or Showtime to pick up. The, the fight and, and air it live over here in the United States during the afternoon, right? And he get a little bit of money for that. But the foreign licensing, I always tell you guys about this, it's much, much cheaper. The, the pay scale is way lower. You're talking low six figures most of the time to pick up these foreign fights. Now with zone, I think that Eddie's long-term plan here is, man, I'm going to pick up more money doing these types of fights with that I normally get from HBO or Showtime with the quote unquote foreign licensing, I'm going to get more money through my subscribership on the zone showing these fights. And then here in the UK, I still go the sky sports box office route. So he's going to have more income coming in. I think that's his plan. It's not working yet because he doesn't have the subscribership yet. So he's taking, you know, a little less money, from DAZN right now than he would be getting from an HBO or a Showtime. But at some point, you figure that dynamic is going to flip. Either way, enough of the business talk. I actually like this fight. I like the fight for Usyk because it's a brand-building fight over there in the UK where he won a gold medal in the Olympics. I want to say there was a world championships or something like that. I can't remember which uh, tournament it was before he won the Olympics, that he won over there in the UK. It might have been in Manchester, actually, where uh, he, he medaled over there. So he fought over there in the amateurs, plenty. Now he can go over there and fight one of the bigger names 
and one of the biggest talkers over in the UK. Huge brand building fight for him. You guys know he just announced the co-promotion deal with Matchroom and Eddie Hearn. That he's already, you know, he's already doing this thing with K2, but this will be a cross-promotion thing. And it builds down the line for an eventual fight with Anthony Joshua at heavyweight. Should he continue to win? He's got a big fight coming up this Saturday that we'll talk about in a minute. But I just think this is smart business. And it leads to huge business down the line. Big implications if Usyk takes care of business against Bellew. And I think he will. Also, uh, I just talked about Top Rank and ESPN+. Plus. They just picked up another fight here, guys. Miguel Burchelt versus Miguel Romand. November 3rd, it's going to be in El Paso, Texas. That has been picked up on ESPN+. Plus. This will be the fourth defense of Burchelt's WBC Super Featherweight title. Now think about it. Go back a couple years. Burchelt was on HBO. We've seen Miguel Roman on HBO. You figured this fight would go to HBO. It's an affordable fight, and it makes sense. They've had those guys on their air before going to ESPN+. Plus. Top rank, not promoting this fight, right? Not the whole fight, I don't think. I can't remember. I believe Burchelt is not represented by top rank. So uh, just for them to uh, pick this one up, again, it tells you HBO getting phased out of the business because they simply did not adapt. And I've talked about this before. The executives at HBO at the very, very top don't give a shit about boxing. They just announced that they're doing another documentary on Muhammad Ali, and I trolled a little bit about it on Twitter yesterday. Or it might have been Sunday. I can't keep up on my days right now after Vegas. I'm a little, uh, you guys could probably hear it in my voice. I'm a little exhausted and worn out. It's all kind of blurring together. But um, they've done how many documentaries on Muhammad Ali? How about taking that budget and picking up a goddamn fight like Burchelt versus Roman, which is going to be a good fight? How about that shit? We don't need to see another damn documentary filleting Muhammad Ali for the 5,000th time. Don't need it. Unnecessary. But they don't give a shit about boxing at HBO. They care about politics, agendas, narratives, and Game of Thrones. That's what they give a shit about over there. All right, some more news. Gervonta Davis arrested in Washington, D.C. last Friday after a street fight outside Rose Bar Lounge in DuPont Circle. So, for those of you not familiar with the Washington, D.C. area, as far as I understand it, and I haven't been to D.C. in a few years, so some of you D.C. guys listening, correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I always understood it, DuPont Circle is the gay area of Washington, D.C. It's long been known as the gay area. I think they do like parades and stuff there. Not that there's anything wrong with that. If that's your, your thing, cool. Good for you. But I don't know why Javante Davis is hanging out at a bar in DuPont Circle last Friday night. I don't know. But he was. And he uh, apparently ran up a $10,000 bill at the bar. So he was fighting with somebody about the bill. I don't know if it was an employee of this lounge or one of his boys that he was at this bar in DuPont Circle with, arguing about the bill. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, they started fighting, fist fight, and uh, arrested for disorderly conduct. So obviously this is going to be a slap on the wrist. But it just shows you this kid is a moron. And because of the people he is aligned with that have connections with lawyers, and uh, they have there's plenty of red tape that they take care of for these guys, 
he's going to get a slap on the wrist and be back in the ring very, very soon. But we saw him uh, during the, what, uh, Garcia-Porter fight recently uh, with uh, a few of the guys hanging out, drunk off his ass, acting a fool there at the fights. The cameras caught some of it, both on Showtime and just on social media. You guys have seen the uh, videos and stuff. Um, and he looked like a, a damn middleweight. You know, he looked like a puffy-ass middleweight. He looked like the Pillsbury Doughboy, you know, uh, ringside. And uh, here it is, you know, a week or so afterwards, he's getting arrested for disorderly conduct at a bar in D.C. I don't get it. You know, uh, where the hell is the management? Where is the advising of a fighter like this? If you're, if you're being paid as an advisor, maybe you should advise these guys a little better. These are young men, right? I don't know. Just my two cents. Anyway, one last item. I don't want to spend too long talking about it, but I know you guys are going to want to hear something about it. Mayweather Pacquiao 2. The shadow of the ultimate shit show continues to loom over boxing anytime there is a big event. This is not the first time Floyd Mayweather has made some stupid, idiotic post on social media right around the time that there's a huge event particularly if it involves Oscar De La Hoya or Bob Arum. And it won't be the last time he does. But he made some Instagram posts on Saturday, which just coincidentally happened to be the same day that the biggest event of the year in fight sports was happening. And uh, talked about the Pacquiao rematch. And apparently there's a video that's been leaked of him uh, Floyd and uh, Manny Pacquiao at some music festival over in Tokyo talking to each other, but no one knows what they were saying. It's all so mysterious. I, I don't know. I don't really give a shit. I kind of share the opinion of Bob Arum. Bob Arum was at a presser over the weekend uh, promoting the Burchelt versus Roman fight, and he was asked about Mayweather Pacquiao too, and he, he said flat out, I want nothing to do with it. Good luck with them if they want to take millions more from people, and there's people that probably will pay millions more for that fight. But... I'm busy promoting these young guys who are actually relevant to the sport right now and the sport's immediate future. It's basically what you said. I'm paraphrasing, but I share the opinion of Bob Arum. I know a lot of you guys out there, the conspiracy theorists and everything else, you really think Pacquiao won the first fight. He didn't. Um, I don't care what carefully, selectively edited video you saw that makes it look like he won. He didn't. You guys know I'm not the biggest Floyd supporter in the world. I think his resume has a lot of smoke and mirrors to it. But uh, he won that fight. And it was a shitty fight. And fans were gouged. The gouging of fans and their treatment of media, which was piss poor this Saturday in Las Vegas, was still light years better than what we saw with Mayweather Pacquiao won. These guys don't deserve... One more second of my time if they're going to fight each other again. And they really don't deserve a dime more of your money or attention, ladies and gentlemen. So let's just stop talking about that altogether. Let's get into the review of what took place in the ring around the world last week. So obviously last week, it was a busy, busy week in Las Vegas with fight week for the Canelo Golovkin rematch, but there were actually fights Thursday, September 13th at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Vegas. It was a Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2 card. In the main event, Mexican Pablo Cesar Cano 
improved to 31 and 7 and 1 with 21 knockouts, scoring a technical decision over Kazakhstan fighter uh, Ruslan Madiev, who is 12 and 1 now. He suffers his first loss as a pro. He's got five knockouts. And a lot of people um, there were saying, hey man, this is a Mexican guy beating a guy from Kazakhstan. Is this foreshadowing what's coming up Saturday night? I don't know. And you know, I was like, no, 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 no way. But uh, turns out, hey, you know. But you know, I didn't even catch this last week and I was doing the preview for this matchup. I, Golden Boy, they matched the Mexican dude with the Kazakh dude, you know, so it actually is, makes a lot of sense why they matched it this way. And I think if you bought a ticket to this uh, fight as, as a fan, you got some sort of premium seat at the weigh-in Friday for Canelo Golovkin 2, which, by the way, was a complete and utter clusterfuck of epic proportions. But um, anyway, in this fight, uh, Kano wins by scores of 49-46 three times. There was an accidental headbutt that busted open Madiev, and the doctor stopped it. Madiev didn't want to stop. He wanted to continue fighting. Uh, he says that his plan in this fight was to start very slow, which he did, and begin to increase the pressure over the middle rounds and take out Kano late. That's what he said he wanted to do, and he wants a rematch. Is a rematch going to happen? I don't know. We'll see. But, you know, it, ha it sucks when freak accidents like this happen, and uh, it is what it is. So, uh, Friday. September 14th, top rank on ESPN Plus. Oh, I'm sorry, ESPN and ESPN Plus in Fresno, California, where Jose Carlos Ramirez defended his WBC 140-pound title for the first time against Antonio Orozco. This ended up being a very entertaining, uh, bloody, blood and guts type of fight that was completely one-sided and dominated by Ramirez. But Orozco, who suffered not one cut, he was cut in, the, I think, the left eye in the fourth round and the right eye in the sixth round. So two cuts. He was not dropped once, but dropped twice in the fourth round and eighth round. Kept getting up, kept coming forward, but basically lost every round. All three judges had it 119-107, so they found a round to give to Orozco. That was it. So this was a completely one-sided fight, but very entertaining. Very entertaining stuff because of the heart and determination that Orozco showed. I've been critical of him because this, this is a guy, Antonio Orozco, who had uh, so much uh, potential heading into 2016. You go back to 2015. He was still seen as a prospect at that time, but a blue chipper in the eyes of many. He beat Emmanuel Taylor. He beat Humberto Soto in 2015, and a lot of people felt, myself included, I was ringside for that one, that you know what we saw there was a guy who, was, who had graduated from prospect level to contendership, and man, in 2016, this dude's going to fight for a title and probably win it. That's what we saw. That's what all the media guys ringside for that uh, Roscoe Soto fight in 2015. It's what we were all saying to each other. And then there was bunch of issues you know and I've talked about all that stuff no need to rehash all of it but he just never quite lived up to expectations right and a lot of people gave up on him he saw this as a big opportunity to um, rejuvenate his career to win over fans and to vindicate himself and that's what he did 
He showed toughness in this fight. He stuck it out where a lot of other guys would have given up. He saw the final bell, takes his first career loss, but I think, you know, definitely vindicates himself to a certain degree. And now fans, they want to see him again. So good job for him. For Ramirez, who basically won every round of this fight, he's now 23-0 with 16 knockouts, gets that first defense under the way. Let's see what's next for him. You know, I'm disappointed he's not in the World Boxing Super Series tournament, but Bob Arum and Top Rank, they don't do tournaments. So right now, what they got to do with Ramirez is keep him busy. They got to keep this guy fighting, keep him fighting on ESPN, and getting exposure. They can go back to Fresno anytime and fight anybody there and do a good crowd. That is the area Ramirez is from. He's a draw there. So if there's not a name opponent, you know, to go to one of the bigger venues and get more money that way, man, just bring him back to Fresno. Continue building that brand up there while the World Boxing Super Series Season 2 tournament at 140 pounds plays out and you can set yourself up with the winner of that tournament down the line. That's what you do if you're top rank with J.C. Ramirez. Now, in the, or I'm not sure if it was even the co-main. I believe it was the co-main. Um, I hadn't, I, I was, you know, working the, the weigh-in for Canelo Golovkin and chopping up video, and I just missed. Uh, I just tuned in just in time for the main event, but I missed this fight. Alexander Vesputin, a Russian fighter now based in Oxnard, uh, improves to 11-0 with nine knockouts. He's, he's a uh, welterweight prospect with a TKO nine win over Alan Sanchez, whose corner stopped the fight uh, just before the start of the ninth round. So he stays undefeated. That's what happened Friday. And of course, all that led into the big, big card, the big showdown Saturday, which was, you know, I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about what took place Saturday in Las Vegas. And I feel that we're going to be talking about this for a while. And um, it, let's start with the undercard. Okay. Um, this pay-per-view card started at 5 p.m. out there in Vegas, which is, you know, 8 p.m. for you guys on the East Coast. So it started a little early which in theory wasn't a bad thing. But when you had three undercard fights, you know, the first three fights of the pay-per-view broadcast that were set up to be knockouts, I don't know if it was the smartest decision in the world. So I told you guys last week during the preview that uh, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez is fighting Moises Fuentes. Fuentes has been stopped, I think, three times. So he's a guy that can be knocked out. He's a guy that's not hard to punch. There's no head movement there. And if Chocolatito was anywhere near, uh, not, not his best, but anywhere, you know, I mean, in the same stratosphere of where he used to be, he was going to get a stoppage. And that's what happened. It just happened earlier than most people thought. I actually thought of the three undercard fights, that one would go the most rounds. It didn't. It, I can't remember which round right now, guys. Uh, my notes are all over the place. But it was an early stoppage win for Chocolatito. It's not even really worth detailing. I mean, good for him. He gets a W. He gets. He looked good. But it's easy to look good with that kind of matchmaking. He made 115 pounds. He seemed to make it more comfortably than I had seen him make it over the last year or so. Uh, you know, prior to the, the loss to Rungvisai, the big knockout loss to Rungvisai. His last three fights, he was really struggling to make weight. And I don't know if just the rest helped him, if they did something different in camp, but he looked a little better to me making weight this time. 
So uh, he still, you know, it was still that easy. I think he dropped his drawers at the weigh-in, but he made weight, and I thought that he just rehydrated better. He just looked a little rejuvenated. So no doubt he's going to be on Superfly 4. I'm sure you're going to see him on Superfly 4. No bumps or bruises or cuts or anything in this fight that I saw. So does he fight Juan Francisco Estrada? Do we see that rematch? I don't think they want to go anywhere near Rungby side again. But why not do the fight with Estrada? I think that would make a lot of sense. And that moves the needle in Los Angeles. If you do Chocolatito Estrada, that makes a lot of sense for uh, Superfly 4. And HBO, that might be the only card they have next year is Superfly 4. So, uh, hey, you know, if you're Tom Loeffler and 360 Promotions, you get HBO's entire budget for Superfly 4. I think that's what we're going to see. Um, second fight of the undercard, which really... We knew that David Lemieux and Gary Speckle Sullivan, we knew that was going to be rock'em, sock'em robots. We know they were going to go back and forth and try to knock each other out. These two have been talking shit all week. Well, hell, before fight week. They were, they've been going back and forth on social media forever. Well, they weren't making that shit up. They came in guns blazing early, especially David Lemieux. And I told you guys he had more levels. He's just a better fighter, better athlete. He just does everything better than Gary Spike O'Sullivan. And he came in, uh, he looked like he rehydrated and was the much bigger guy. And the first big left hook he landed, I think O'Sullivan was trying to land a right hand. He telegraphed it, he shot it low, kept his head right in the middle, zero head movement. Lemieux just shot a left hook over it, landed it. Spike O'Sullivan, it looked like he closed his eyes when he shot his right hand. Boom, that was it. Right there in the first round. So... I don't think anybody predicted a first-round knockout off the first punch landed. I don't think anybody expected that, including Spike O'Sullivan. But that's what happened. So Lemieux, in my opinion, won the Canelo sweepstakes. I've been telling you guys for weeks. Win, lose, or draw for Canelo Alvarez, his next fight would be against the winner between Lemieux and O'Sullivan. Golden Boy Promotions has been setting that shit up for the last year or so. It's not difficult to figure out what they want to do so uh, that's probably what's going to happen so for Lemieux he just punched his ticket to a massive freaking payday good for him he, he did something different in camp because he looked way better at this weigh-in than he has looked in recent weigh-ins I thought that he looked remember he's missed weight a couple times in recent fights he was on weight he looked really good he rehydrated well whatever the hell they did in camp for this fight they need to do it again when they fight Canelo because that's a whole different animal they're going to be facing. So then in the co-main, Jaime Mugia, Brandon Cook. Obviously, this was a setup for Mugia to look great in front of the Mexican fans there. They brought in this Canadian kid to bleed. I'll give Cook credit. The dude, he tried his absolute best. Uh, he did not fight scared. He was throwing punches. He was trying to win. He was not in there being an opponent. He put up a hell of a lot more of a fight against Jaime Munguia than Gary Spike O'Sullivan put up against David Lemieux than Moises Fuentes put up against Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. So Brandon Cook does deserve credit for that. But there are levels to this game. There are also levels to the weight scale. And Jaime Munguia gained about 20 pounds from the weigh-in until fight night. I think he weighed... Uh, almost 175 he rehydrated to it wasn't quite that it was like 173 or something like that so he gained almost 20 pounds 
it looked like a light heavyweight versus a welterweight in there almost. I mean, it was, I don't want to say comical, but it was borderline comical, just the size difference between these two. And so Munguia gets the stoppage. Okay, cool. So all three of these undercard fights are done. <laughs> it felt like they were done within 30 minutes. I know it was longer than that. But they were done so early that it was Pacific time. It was around 6.30, okay? And you're thinking main event is supposed to go on at 8 o'clock, which 11 o'clock for you guys on the East Coast. So all of us at you know, ringside, media guys, were, were talking to each other like, what the hell are they going to do? They got 90 minutes of fill time. Do you go right into the main event? Well, you can't because you have um, – a certain built-in um, schedule with fans and and also with the sports platforms, you know, ESPN, SportsCenter, all that kind of stuff. You got post-fight interviews and things set up with foreign media. You also have um, TV deals over in different markets that are expecting to come in for the main event at a certain time. All that stuff is slotted and, and preordained and pre-planned so they couldn't go early. You guys got to remember, these big international pay-per-view cards, the main event is really, really set to go around a certain time. And you can't change that because of all the foreign TV and all that stuff going on. So they had 90 minutes of fill time. You would think a promoter as experienced as Golden Boy Promotions is, and they were the lead promoter on this. They ran this rematch. They ran the show. You would think that they would have at least one, if not two, Swing fights, walkout bouts, whatever you want to call it, on tap. You'd have a couple of Mexican dudes sitting in the dressing room ready to go where you can say, hey, man, get out there and beat the shit out of each other for 10 rounds. We need to fill some space. But no. So for 90 minutes, guys, I'm not exaggerating. Those of you watching on HBO pay-per-view, let me know how this looked. Because, you know, of course, I have no idea. I haven't seen the broadcast yet. But... 90 minutes you're trying to fill time now i've heard i did uh the grueling truth show last night i called in i'm sorry uh sunday i called in to do that show and then uh nbc sports radio i called into the dave smith show saturday night right after the fight and i've heard different things about the hbo broadcast from those guys i heard jim lampley almost cried uh, which you know what the dude cries when he watches one of those uh you know subaru commercials i'm sure if he sees puppies or whatever, he probably cries. But uh, apparently, it was just a complete shit show. <laughs> and you got to have a plan B, man. In boxing, anything can happen. And when you schedule three mismatches, well, really two mismatches and a possible mismatch. The, the Gonzalez-Fuentes fight, there was a, an asterisk we didn't quite know. But those other two pay-per-view bouts were complete mismatches, Right. Uh, you didn't expect either one to go past six. I mean, and that's being generous. So you got to have a plan B. And Golden Boy didn't. That was really, really surprising to me and disappointing. And I got to tell you guys, last year, the pay-per-view card was shit. The, the, you know, the, the three pay-per-view fights just were not as good, at least on paper, as these three. But there were more fans in the stands watching the undercard fights last year versus this year. This year, it was so much more corporate. Just the vibe, all fight week and through all day Saturday, just sitting back and watching. Me, myself, uh, Steve Kim, 
uh, ticket broker Jim Boone, a couple of friends, Tiffany. We sat, we, we found a little uh, place to eat lunch right there in the, the little square area right by T-Mobile Arena. Kind of where New York, New York, T-Mobile, all that stuff is. There's this little area where there's shops and restaurants and bars and stuff. And there was like an outdoor patio. And we just kind of ate lunch and just watched fans trickle in. And we were just talking about the difference between this year and last year. And it was very, very sterile. And the types of fans that I saw were more of the, hey, cool, look at me. I'm at this cool, fun event type of fan. Hey, let me take a selfie and post it on Instagram. I'm so cool. I'm at this, you know, really important sporting event. It almost felt like the damn Super Bowl versus last year where I felt a lot more diehard boxing fans were like, oh, shit, this is the fight we've been waiting for for two years. We've been saving up our money for this. Let's freaking party. That's what I felt last year. There's a terrace in T-Mobile Arena, uh, I think on the second floor, it might be the third floor, where you know they have a little bar out there where fans you know can go out there and have drinks and chill during like intermission for games or whatever. And uh, I went there between fights during this 90-minute thing, this 90-minute fiasco, because I remember going out there last year. One of the things I like to do at these big fights is just walk around the arena and see what's going on with the fans and get the vibe for what's, what's happening so I can report that to you guys. Um, you know, A lot of people talk about that stuff with bias and agenda, and they don't even walk around the arena. They just make assumptions and judgments. I actually walk around the damn arena and talk with fans and stuff. So last year, Tiff and I and my brother was there last year. We went out to that terrace and just talked to a bunch of fans, and it was packed. This year, I went to go out there, and um, homeboy, a little security guard, this little pizza face, it looked like he was a 16-year-old security guard, tells me, oh, no, sir, you can't go up there, you know, with his squeaky-ass puberty voice. And I'm like, what do you mean I can't go up there? Media, you know, I'm showing him my credentials. He goes, no, 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 this is a private party, only VIP people. And I'm like... Just between you and me, how much does it cost to get up there? Well, you got to buy your ticket to the fight, and it's an extra $150 to go up here to this terrace. So I'm thinking to myself, these fans are already being gouged for these ticket prices. They're paying more for tickets this year than they were last year. And to go to some stupid party out on this terrace, they got to pay an extra buck fifty. That's insane. That's the kind of stuff I saw. They were selling uh, posters to the fight for $55. $55 for a fight poster. A piece of paper. $55. The shirts, the hats. uh, The hats that were $30 last year were $40 this year. That's just the kind of treatment of fans I saw and the overall vibe of the card. And, you know, after the fight, after the, the main event, uh, you know, all the statistics start coming out. Golden Boy, their, uh, their media people start sending us media guys uh, just stats. You know, here's um, you know, how many people attended the fight. You know, the, all that stuff starts coming in, all the numbers. They sent an email this year that was nothing but the list of celebrities who attended ringside. I got an email in my inbox, and it was called the celebrity list. And I'm like, what the hell is this shit? I open it up. It's a list of all the celebrities that were ringside. And I felt like responding to it, but I didn't. But I was going to respond, I don't give a fuck. I don't care what celebrities came to the damn fight. Don't send me this shit. Anyway, that was the difference in vibe between this year and last year. And the media section down by the ring, 
they actually pushed it back into the stands so that they could get about 15 more rows of fans ringside. That was another major difference this year. My boy Steve Kim, who is an A-lister in this business, I owe a lot to Steve because he's, you know, mentored me in a lot of ways. He was in the last row, the last row of press row. And I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to get into all this stuff. But there were a lot of people with a very, very small and insignificant media presence in terms of who they write for, um, their their scope you know is in the media who were ahead of him in people like him and i couldn't understand that until i started having conversations with people and talking about different articles certain members of the media have written including myself certain things we've said on podcasts about particularly golden boy and team canelo certain things that have taken place over the last year that we've just reported on honestly, including the fact that this fight was not sold out until the day of the fight. Eric Gomez was going around, what, a week or so ago, saying, oh, the fight's sold out, fight sold out. Guess what? I was sitting with a ticket broker having lunch on Saturday who was selling tickets to the fight to people as we were eating lunch. It was not sold out until about an hour before the fight. An hour before the pay-per-view card started, I should say. It did sell out, but Eric Gomez apparently didn't like some of us talking about the fact that it really truly wasn't sold out yet, even though they were saying it was. It seemed like people were being punished for past quote-unquote transgressions, including myself. So the treatment of the media including guys with way bigger profiles than myself, was not very good. And it felt like, not exactly like, not as bad as, but it had elements of what Floyd Mayweather and Heyman would do to people who they didn't like. You know, people who uh, would report certain things in an honest and fair way that made things look bad for them. Floyd Mayweather all-out blacklisted people. There, there's a list of A-lister media people I could tell you guys about that were flat-out blacklisted from attending Mayweather-Pacquiao. So there were elements of that going on. Anyway, enough of that rant. Let's talk about the actual damn main event where Canelo Alvarez scores a majority decision win over Gennady Golovkin and proves to 51-2 with 34 knockouts. Golovkin drops to 38 one in one with 34 knockouts. So you guys have seen my immediate reaction video that I did live. And by the way, I'm going to be uh, doing a live video on YouTube during the replay on HBO this weekend. So watch the fight with me on HBO. Turn on HBO, but also pull up your laptop, your tablet, whatever the hell it is, and go to my YouTube channel where a lot of you guys are listening to this podcast right now. And let's watch the damn fight together and chat about it right there on YouTube as we watch it on HBO. I think that'll be fun. But I'm looking at the punch numbers, okay? Uh, first fight, I told you guys, Golovkin started slow. I'm looking at punches thrown, okay? 
In the first fight, first round he throws 33 punches, second round he throws 38. Well, Saturday night, he threw 47 in the first round. He threw 64 in the second round. I'm looking here. Uh, he was throwing uh, 84 punches in the fourth round this Saturday. You know, last year he threw 61 punches in the fourth round. Last year he didn't throw any more than, I'm looking here real quick, 74 punches was his high in this rematch. 89 punches was his high. He threw more than 80 punches in one, two, three, four, five rounds. So it is clear Golovkin was busier in this fight than he was in the first fight, which is part of the game plan. But guess what? So was Canelo. Canelo threw 505 total punches in the first fight, threw 622 in this fight. He landed 169 last year, landed 202. So he landed more than, what's, uh, 33 more punches. Golovkin himself landed 218 last year, 234 this year. So he landed only, I can't think right now, 16 more punches. So even though Golovkin was more active, threw about 170 more punches than he did last year, wasn't as effective necessarily. I knew he was going to be more active earlier. You guys did. Guess what? So did Team Canelo. And they game plan for that. And how do you stop a guy, nullify a guy that you know is going to be busier and be coming forward from the opening bell in the fight? What do you do? Well, in the first fight, Canelo decided to run and back up. That didn't work for him. But in the last few rounds of that first fight, now I can look back and see this. I didn't see it quite yet. But it seems he found something in those last few rounds where he had that late rounds comeback and, and made the fight, the first fight, you know, fairly close. He clearly lost, but it was fairly close. Whatever he found there was, man, I need to go forward. I need to push Golovkin back. I need to force him to constantly reset and not let him get full extension on his punches that he likes to set up with the jab. And that's what Canelo did from the opening bell of this fight all the way through. And you know what? Guys, it was genius. It was a genius game plan from Eddie and Chepo Reynoso. They had a better game plan than Abel Sanchez. That is the bottom line. Now, it's not always about trainer, and I'm not trying to beat up on Abel Sanchez. He is one of the best trainers in the business. Sometimes it's also about the fighters. Now, apparently, Abel Sanchez and Team Golovkin prepared to go to the body and do some different things. It just didn't work out in the fight. To me, now, again, I didn't see the HBO broadcast. I couldn't hear what Abel was saying in the corner. It was way too freaking loud in there. You guys got to tell me. But I didn't see many adjustments from Golovkin. He made some. And I don't think he's getting enough credit for the adjustments he did make. And you started catching Canelo coming in. He started in the later rounds getting Canelo to reach and then countering him. And I thought that it was a very interesting dynamic to see Canelo become the aggressor and see Golovkin become the counterpuncher. And I really truly don't think Golovkin got enough credit for some of the counterpunching he did uh, that stopped Canelo in his tracks and buzzed him more than one time. If you look at which fighter 
hurt the other fighter more in this fight off of punching. I think it's clear that the bigger, more hurtful punches were landed by Golovkin. Now, some of you guys might be saying, well, look at their faces. Golovkin's face was busted up. Well, those were mostly from headbutts. I challenge you to go back and find a punch in the fight that opened those cuts. The cuts, and both fighters were cut, but Golovkin was cut badly. When you have two guys clash heads, but one guy is moving forward and one guy is moving backward, guess who's going to get the worst end of that deal? Generally speaking, it's going to be the guy moving backward. So uh, most of the cuts, most of the bumps and bruises were headbutts, forearms, shoulders, you know, that kind of stuff that you get in a rough and tumble fight. But the actual head snapping punches that visibly wobbled a dude were landed by Golovkin. I thought there was a couple of good uppercuts in the 12th round. And there was a hard right hand, be it, uh, I think it was in the ninth or 10th round, that really snapped Canelo's head back and stopped him in his tracks. And uh, if this is professional boxing and we're, we're trying to score rounds based on who's inflicting the more, you know, more damage, landing the heavier blows, that stuff should count. If we're also scoring based on who's doing the more consistent work throughout three minutes of a round, the guy who's winning the battle of the jab, that should count. And, you know, th th for those reasons, I had Golovkin narrowly edging this fight. Um, Golovkin landed, let's see, in the first fight, he landed 53 more jabs than Canelo. And in this rematch, he landed... Um, almost 60 more jabs. He landed 118 jabs to Canelo's 59. So when you have a guy, neither man landed a jab to the body. So all of it was upstairs. When you have a guy landing twice the jabs, throwing more than twice the amount of jabs, he's winning the battle of the jab, obviously, right? First thing they teach you in the amateurs, win the battle of the jab, you win the round. Win enough rounds, you win the fight. But in the pro game, not always that way. Alvarez landed 143 power punches to Golovkin's 116. So he wins the battle of the power punching. Here's the thing, though, guys. And this is a nuance no one else is talking about. My favorite word. Golovkin only landed six body punches. Now, body punches are power punches, too. So you take away his body punching. Golovkin landed 110 body punch, Or I'm sorry, 110 power punches. You take away Canelo's body punches, he landed 46, he landed 97 power punches. So power punches upstairs, and again I go back to those head snapping punches that stop a dude in their tracks. Golovkin landed 13 more. Remember that. He landed 110 power punches upstairs to Canelo's 97. So Golovkin doubles up the jabs. Wins the battle of power punches to the head, but power punches to the body, Canelo dominates. Doesn't just win, he dominates. He lands 46 body punches to Golovkin's six. One of the keys to victory, I said for Golovkin in this rematch, was going to the body. Well, guess what? He landed eight body punches in the first fight. He landed six of them in this fight. And the body punching to me is what created the body language in the fighters where you saw Canelo, he looked fresh after 12 rounds, like he could go a few more. Golovkin had been huffing and puffing for half of the fight. And that difference in body language was enough to sway a couple of those judges in 
some of those close rounds. That's all it takes sometimes. What's the word I used 500 times in my fight prediction video? Perception. Perception, guys. Big, big deal. So um, I'm just looking at more of these punch numbers. CompuBox did a head-to-head -head comparison report. They put together all the punch numbers of the first two fights. And it's a pretty interesting report here. Um, just 6.9% of Triple G's landed punches, so not even 70% or 7% of the punches he landed in both fights combined were body punches. The average for CompuBox for all fighters is 25%. So CompuBox, and they've been doing this for decades, they've tracked millions of punches in professional boxing from their research the average fighter, 25% of their landed punches, overall punches, are body punches. That's a huge deal. Golovkin landed just 3%. That's, I mean, that's pretty significant. That tells you a lot. 24% uh, of Canelo's landed punches were body shots. So he was right along the average with, uh, with most fighters. So that's enough right there to show you guys the difference. Now, in terms of jabs, it's pretty much the opposite way. Um, uh, Triple G landed 9.4 jabs per round, double the middleweight average. And the jab accounted for about half of his offense. So basically, these rounds, guys, really for both fights, but especially the rematch where uh, Canelo did not dominate in the body punching as much as he did in the rematch. The first fight was, uh, you know, I thought more clear for Golovkin. But in this rematch, do you favor the jab? Do you favor the body punching? Which one to you controls a fight more? Which one do you prefer scoring? That determines how you score this fight. So it's really a matter of styles and which you prefer. So what else here? Um, I scored at 7-5 for Golovkin live. You guys probably know that by now if you're listening to this podcast. I have no beef with anybody seeing it a draw or even going as far as 7-5 for Canelo this time. The first fight, I thought you could go as far as 8-4 for Golovkin, 6-6 if you're giving every benefit of the doubt to Canelo. So that's basically the difference between the two fights for me. The first fight was close and competitive, but it was a, a one-point swing in the direction of Golovkin further for me. It was a little more clearly a win for him. Neither man clearly won this rematch. Neither one. A draw would have been very just. If there was a draw in, the, in these two fights, it was the rematch. And coincidentally, just looking at the judges' scorecards here, I'm looking at uh, the printout. All three judges had the fight even after four rounds, as I did. All three judges had it 4-2 Canelo after six. I had it even halfway through. I had it three rounds to three halfway through. From there, from the second half of the fight, they only agreed on two rounds. They agreed on the 10th and 11th rounds, which went for Golovkin on all three judges' scorecards. Two went for Canelo in the 12th. Obviously, you guys have seen the scorecards by now. Had they gone for Golovkin in the 12th, this would be a 114-114 draw uh, three times. So some people 
feel Canelo won the 12th. Some people feel Golovkin won the 12th. Again, I'll go to punch numbers, and you guys know how I feel about punch numbers. They can be manipulated. I understand that. But in terms of punches landed, uh, Alvarez landed 21. Golovkin landed 20. But Alvarez landed only two jabs. Golovkin landed 10. Power punches, Alvarez landed 19. Golovkin landed 10. However, the two biggest power punches landed in the round were those uppercuts, right uppercuts from Golovkin that snapped Canelo's head back. There was one at the beginning of the round, one at the end of the round. So when you have a guy landing the two best power punches in the round and dominating landing five times the amount of jabs, in my opinion, that fighter won the round. In my opinion, Golovkin won the 12th round. Only one judge agreed with me, but uh, it is what it is. So a lot of fans are crying robbery. Team Golovkin visibly upset. They weren't crying robbery, though. Tom Loeffler said we can't get a decision in Vegas. That's a justifiable response from him. He's you know protecting his fighter. I understand that. But, guys, this was not a robbery. I don't care what Teddy Atlas says. Teddy Atlas plays a character on TV. He is nothing like that when the camera's off. He plays a character on TV for you guys. Don't buy into all that shit. The reality is why people feel ripped off, why people feel like this is a robbery, is because of what took place last year. It's because of that Adelaide Bird scorecard, a woman who should not be allowed to score fights, who coincidentally was scoring fights for Golden Boy Promotions Thursday night, believe it or not, on that ESPN2 card. That woman should not be allowed to score any fight ever again. If it's not for her scorecard, if it's not for the screw-up from the judge who somehow had it a draw, I guess you could live with the draw, but if you had another judge in there who knew what the hell he was doing and scored that fight correctly, Golovkin wins by majority decision last year, and Canelo wins by majority decision last this year. Picture, if you will, last year, a different judge than Adelaide Bird edging it to Golovkin. So he wins on two of three scorecards in the first fight, and this year, you have Canelo winning on two of three scorecards in this rematch. Nobody would be bitching. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Of course, it's boxing. Someone's always bitching. But fans would be like, damn, man. We've had two fights. We've had six scorecards. One guy won two of them. The other guy won two of them. The other two were a draw. Holy shit. This couldn't be any more even. We got to have a third fight. That's what everyone would be saying right now. And there are some people saying that right now still, but the majority of fans are saying, man, that shit that happened last year was wrong. This Triple G guy who's come up the hard way, he hasn't had a golden road paved for him the way Canelo has. He doesn't have the establishment behind him like Canelo has. This outsider, quote unquote, got ripped off last year. And then the cancellation the Columbuterol scandal, the suspension, he's got to wait six more months. We're standing here with our dicks in our hands. Finally, we get the rematch. And again, justifiably, you could argue, but again, the establishment fighter gets the benefit of the doubt. It just leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. And that's what you're seeing right now. So for look, for those of you crying robbery, you need to chill out. It wasn't a robbery. Okay, use different rhetoric. Okay, make your message a little more uh, reasonable and moderate, and I think you'll get a better response. You have the right to feel ripped off, 
but it wasn't a robbery. So choose better rhetoric. At the same time, for the people on the other side saying, oh, all these Triple G fans are butthurt and you guys are idiots, try to have some understanding. Try to flip the dynamic and try to remember, um, you, look, maybe you were a Kovalev guy when he went up against the establishment against Andre Ward and you saw how he was treated in Vegas in the first fight and you saw how the dynamic Everything that took place in the first fight affected the psychology of the second fight and how that turned out. Coincidentally, Andre Ward thinks that uh, Canelo won the rematch, quote-unquote, big. I think he had it like eight rounds to four for Canelo. So that tells you all you need to know on that one. But again, guys, try to chill out. Try to understand what this is and what it is not. The one thing I will say, these guys have shared 24 rounds I do feel that Golovkin has won the, more than half of them. But regardless of who you feel won, how many rounds, all 24 rounds have been pretty damn special. They, these were two very good middleweight fights that lived up to expectations. And guess what? The second fight was better than the first. You guys think you're going to get that in Mayweather-Pacquiao too? You don't get that often in rematches. We didn't get that in Ward-Kovalev too. We had a foul-filled just fuck fest. You don't get that in rematches most of the time. We got it here. It's a big deal, man. A real big deal. But there still is an establishment versus underdog dynamic here. In Eastern European fighters, I get it. Kazakhstan's in Central Asia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, his father's Russian. So is his wife. His kids are, what, three quarters? He's Eastern European, guys. He represents that that market okay i'm talking about golovkin eastern europeans are still working their way up in the boxing world in the establishment of the boxing world they're not there yet when you see how kovalev ward went how golovkin canelo is gone uh they're not there yet they're still the new kids on the block they're gaining political clout they're gaining more and more pieces of the establishment and it took the Klitschko's, particularly Vladimir Klitschko, to pave the way for guys like Kovalev, Golovkin, Lomachenko. Those guys are going to pave the way for future Eastern European guys who are in the amateurs right now. For Golovkin specifically, he has broken open the floodgates for fighters out of Kazakhstan. You're going to see more and more of them. So uh, this thing is generational. It's cyclical. Latin American fighters, particularly Mexican fighters, had to fight for decades to become part of the establishment. Now they are the establishment. But for decades, a Mexican fighter couldn't get a fair shake in Vegas or you know, uh, Atlantic City. So it took a while. And now Mexicans are running the game. So these things take time. And, and this is just the way it works in boxing. And by the way, and I tweeted about this, and I think a lot of you appreciated this tweet, this isn't unique to boxing. This is a sports thing. The house fighter, the house player, the house team, generally speaking, gets the benefit of the doubt. You don't believe me? Watch a damn NBA playoff series. Watch when... Cleveland plays LA or something, how the refs' calls change, the amount of free throws each team has in a game in LA versus a game in Cleveland. 
No one bitches about that and calls that shit fixed. There's no Teddy Atlas ranting and raving on ESPN about, you know, the NBA is fixed. Blah, 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 blah. We need a commission. Blah, blah, blah. You don't hear that shit. You only hear it in boxing. Everything's amplified in boxing. But the, the reality is, guys, this is a sports thing. And for whatever reason... Fighters from the old Soviet Republic, you want to call it Eastern Europe, the old USSR, whatever term you want to use, they have not broken through yet where they get the benefit of the doubt in these establishment versus outsider type of situations. They're just not there yet. It's going to take guys like Kovalev, like Golovkin, taking some lumps Taking, you know, taking it up the ass with no lube sometimes so guys in the future can benefit off that. It took a lot of Mexican dudes getting ripped off and treated like shit for somebody like Canelo Alvarez to be in the position he's in right now. It took a lot of black fighters being fucked over time and time again for guys like Floyd Mayweather to be where he was at. And I could go back to the Italians, and I could go back to the Jews. You see what this is like, guys? It's just a cyclical, generational thing. All right? One last thing. Well, actually, two last things. If any of you comment on my channel that Triple G has been exposed as a bum, you're gone. I'm sick of this shit. Great white hope. White boys scared. By the way, Canelo's white too, guys. Technically speaking, Canelo is more Caucasian than Gennady Golovkin. So you morons racializing this thing and making it about white. Guess what? Two white guys fought Saturday. I don't know what the hell you're seeing. Canelo's not mestizo. He's not Indio. He's Caucasian. All right? So all this racialized shit, I don't want it on my channel. You comment shit like that, you're blocked. That's it. I don't care. I'm a subscriber. I've subscribed to you for years. I don't give a fuck. Gone. Ain't having it. I'm over that shit. Neither of these fighters is a bum. And by the way, if you're the moron calling Golovkin an exposed bum, and then in the same breath you're saying Canelo is the best middleweight in the world and a pound-for-pound -pound elite, you can't have it both ways. That, that, that entire notion contradicts itself. So if you're saying something like that, you're exposing yourself as a stupid idiot. That's really all you're doing. A biased idiot at that. The only thing dumber than an idiot is a biased idiot. All right. Gennady Golovkin, where does he go from here? They were going to fight Ryota Murata in Japan for New Year's Eve. That is now postponed. He's not fighting again for the rest of the year. Canelo probably won't either. They were going to fight David Lemieux in December. That's probably postponed because both guys are cut and won't be able to train for a while. So neither guy's fighting for the rest of the year. But when Canelo comes back next year, he's going to fight David Lemieux. Unless a third fight can be worked out with Golovkin for May. Which is a very strong possibility. Because from what I'm hearing, this gate for the rematch will do better than the gate of the first fight. And the pay-per-view will outsell the first fight. That one I'm not so sure about. But it was, what, $5 more for the rematch? So... Even if you don't have the amount of buys, let's say it does 1.2 instead of 1.3, that extra $5 helps. <laughs> so um, we'll see, okay? But I know that they did some trending analysis stuff, some reporting over the weekend, and they found that it was trending very well digitally. 
the, the pay-per-view was tra uh, trending better digitally than they expected. So we'll see what all that amounts to. But, um, you know, they made a lot about Bernard Hopkins' middleweight title record and all that. And a lot of fans have gone back and forth. And, of course, it got racial and tribal because Golovkin was going to possibly break Bernard Hopkins' middleweight defense record. Guys, Bernard Hopkins' record was bullshit, and so is Golovkin's record. It's bullshit. Bernard Hopkins won the legitimate middleweight championship, was legitimately seen as the man when he beat Felix Trinidad. After that, I think he defended his title five or six times before losing to Jermaine Taylor. So that's the amount of defenses he had. Gennady Golovkin has been seen as the man at middleweight uh, pretty much since he beat David Lemieux. So for what, two years or so? I, I can't remember the amount of defenses off the top of my head, but probably around five or six, about the same. Uh, neither of these guys has this record of 20-plus true championship defenses. So put all that shit to bed, okay? It's ridiculous. That's it for this one, guys. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. One other thing, you know... Oscar De La Hoya sent out an open letter to fight fans after the fight Saturday defending Canelo because of some of the criticism uh, Golden Boy and Canelo is taking. I think I'm going to do a rant video just picking this thing apart because there's a lot of things I agree with, but there's a lot of things that are just grossly hypocritical and outrageously biased. So if you'd like to see me respond to Oscar De La Hoya's open letter to fight fans in a rant video. Let me know. All right, that's it for the review. Let's preview what we got coming up this week. Okay, so not a lot of action this week, but we do have a very, very important fight. But let's start on Friday, September 21st, where at the Doubletree Hotel in Ontario, California, it's another Thompson boxing card. Of course, these are streamed on all their social media so you guys can get some boxing there right there on your cell phone be sure to check that out uh texas 130 pounder michael dutchover is headlining he's 10 and 0 he's in the main event also there is a showbox card from debella entertainment at the fire lake arena in shawnee oklahoma in the main event a fighter out of spain you don't hear that very often these days uh john fernandez is fighting a Houston-based fighter, Oshaki Foster. They're fighting for a minor 130-pound title. It's a 10-rounder. Fernandez is 16-0 with 14 knockouts. Foster is 13-2 with eight knockouts. He had over 100 amateur fights, was a pretty good amateur for the American team. Lost to Joseph Diaz Jr. in the 2012 Olympic trials. So be sure to check that out Friday. Then of course, Saturday, big, big heavyweight fight at the Wembley in London. This is a matchroom card from Eddie Hearn. The Zone here in the States. Sky box office over in the UK. Anthony Joshua defending his unified titles against Russian Alexander Povetkin. Of course, Joshua's undefeated 21-0 with 20 knockouts. Povetkin only one loss to the all-time great Vladimir Klitschko. No shame in that. 34-1, 24 knockouts. Both of these guys last fought on March 31st. So obviously this was a, a planned thing for uh, Eddie Hearn. Of course, Joshua fought Joseph Parker back on the 31st, went uh, 12 hard rounds with Parker. And Povetkin KO'd David Price in five rounds. 
So uh, the year before that, Joshua fought Vladimir Klitschko and Carlos Tekem. The year before that, Povetkin fought two stiffs. So in terms of overall opposition, you can actually make an argument, and I think it's a fairly valid argument, that Anthony Joshua is already in 21 fights face the overall better opposition than Alexander Povetkin, at least in the last five years. Now, Povetkin faced a prime Vladimir Klitschko back in 2013, not a faded version of him. Uh, he was completely bullied and manhandled in that fight, but there's no shame in that, you know? Here's the thing, though. Povetkin, the last time he fought anybody with the size, athleticism, and power of an Anthony Joshua was when he fought Vlad in 2013, and he was shut out. Did he learn anything from that fight? That fight was in Russia, Povetkin's backyard. This fight is in London, Joshua's backyard. So, uh, you know, major difference there. AJ is six foot six, 82 inch reach, turns 29 next month, generally weighs in the uh, high 240s. Povetkin, six foot two, 75 inch reach, 39 years old. This guy's my age, 220s, usually where he weighs. So, uh, look, Joshua's a decade younger, four inches taller, seven inches more of reach, 20 pounds or more heavier than Povetkin. So, the physical disadvantages that he had against Klitschko are even bigger now because Joshua is a little bigger than Klitschko was and a lot younger. So all things considered, he's climbing a huge uphill battle here. On paper, this looks like a super competitive, uh, really, really, you know, career building fight for Anthony Joshua. But I gotta tell you guys, all things considered, I like Joshua by mid, late round stoppage in a fairly one-sided fight. I think there might be a couple of scary moments early on because if I'm Povetkin, I'm going for it early. I'm taking it right to Joshua. I'm trying to back him up and get inside of his power, get inside of that length. You've seen what smaller fighters have been able to do against Joshua who are cute defensively. Povetkin's not that cute defensively, but he's much better offensively than guys like Joseph Barker and Carlos Takam. So if he could get inside and press the action early on and try to push Joshua back a little bit, I think he's going to have some early success. I expect Joshua to make adjustments in the mid-rounds and start teeing off, and I just don't think Povetkin is going to be able to eat straight right hands all night. There's also the chance that Joshua is going to start landing some good uppercuts and hooks, the kinds of shots that he eventually caught uh, Klitschko with late in their fight the kinds of shots he wasn't able to catch Parker or uh, Tekem with because they weren't engaging. They were backing up. They were ducking off to the side. I think Povetkin's going to engage. He's going to try to get a knockout. He knows he ain't getting a damn decision in London. There's no chance. So if Povetkin engages and tries to get in there and do some work, Joshua's going to knock him out. If Povetkin tries to survive, perhaps he can. But you know what? I still think Joshua's going to stop him late. That's what I see in that fight. Also in the co-main, heavyweight out of Russia, Sergei Kuzmin, who's 12-0 with nine knockouts, 
six foot four. He actually trains with Dimitri Bevel in Los Angeles. When they come over and train together in the States, usually. He lives over in St. Petersburg, Russia, where Bevel lives as well. He's fighting David Price. That's not going to end well for David Price. Now, look, look. In fairness to David Price, we have seen him blow up some prospects before. Guys that, you know, are trying to build a record off of him. He's, he's you know, crashed those parties before. It could happen here. But David Price is 3-3 three and three in his last six. All three of those losses have been by pretty bad knockout. So I think he's going to get stopped here again. Also Saturday the 22nd here in the States, there is a Mayweather Promotions card on Facebook if you want to check that out. And Monday, September 24th in Aichi, Japan, Sho Kimura and Kosei Tanaka, Tanaka's from Aichi, Japan, uh, fighting each other. For Kimura, this will be the third defense of his WBO flyweight title. All right, guys, that is it for this loaded episode of The Neutral Corner. We are caught up on everything here. Let me know if you want that rant video responding to Oscar De La Hoya's open letter to fight fans. And uh, make sure you tune in Saturday where we're going to do a live video watching the Canelo Golovkin replay. We're going to score it again and see if the judges got this thing right or not. Okay? Also, remember your fee. Get the word out about this channel, guys. I need your help. All right? I'll see you at the fights.